0: Welcome to Montana 3000, Tales of 15 Minutes from Now, read by the author, Sean Gallagher. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and see the website for updates on new episodes at Montana3000.com. And now, your host, Sean Gallagher. Darcy Bear. He loves games, my dad, always has. Sports games, word games, parlor games, he loves them all. He's good at them, too. It took me to 12 to finally beat him at tetherball. I didn't best him at trivia until I was 23. I have yet to beat him at chess. <sighs> there I go again. This is going to take some getting used to. My dad has been dead for about six weeks now. I haven't quite yet adopted the past tense when thinking about him. Or talking about him. I know how this goes, though, so I'm sure it will work itself out. I got to practice on my mom. She died ten years ago. I talked about her in the present for a long time, too. The grief-numbing disorientation eventually wears off, as all things do. With time. Like I was saying, my dad loved games of all variety. Sports games, word games, parlor games. His favorites were mind games. I don't mean that in the pejorative. I just mean he had fun with the tease. Riddles, pranks, and gags were his forte. For example, I was never given a present. I only ever found presents. Usually with clues attending, but not always. Sometimes they'd be in the freezer, or on top of the roof, or strapped to the dog. You think I'm kidding. It took me a week to find my Christmas Weddy Betty doll when I was eight. It was in the basement in a box marked Grandpa's Ashes. Dad had a dash of gallows humor in him. It added to the fun. What really made Dad an elite prankster was his willingness to wait. He had the patience of a sniper. He'd put a prank in place and just let it sit, gestating until it was all but forgotten. And then, gotcha. I remember after one summer when I was heading back to college, unbeknownst to me dad had sewn little tags into all my underwear that read daddy's big girl twisted i know but when eventually discovered and not by me i might add they achieved the intended effect he was one of a kind i really miss him given dad's penchant for tomfoolery i should have been less surprised than i was when 48 hours after his death i received an unmarked envelope by courier containing three items a sticky note with a phone number I didn't recognize, a small brass key hung from a silver chain and engraved with A682, and an old photograph of Mom, Dad, and me at the beach. The photo I did recognize. It was taken on a trip the three of us made to California when I was in high school. Mom and Dad have their arms around each other, and I'm wedged between them. We're all smiling big. On the back of the photo, in Mom's hand, was written, Coronado Love, 2008 The number, it turns out, rang to the direct line of one Jenny Krauss, junior vice president at Integrity First Bank and Trust. Among her myriad responsibilities, Ms. Kraus oversaw apportionment of safe deposit boxes at this venerable house of lending. Ms. Krause, per dad's antecedent provision, had been expecting my call and ensured me that Safe Deposit box A682 was one under her purview. Inconveniently, as explained by Ms. Krauss, safe deposit box A682 could only be opened in person, and then only by the keyholder. Also inconvenient, as further explained by Ms. Krauss, safe deposit box A682 and the bank enclosing it were in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I live in Pittsburgh. Dad's antics almost always involve some level of logistical complexity with little to no explanation, so this was not unfamiliar territory to me. Of course, before I could tromp off to New Mexico and put a face to Ms. Krause's name, I had to first get through the loathsome task of shoveling the paperwork of the recently departed. I also had to bury Dad. As the only surviving member of our family triumvirate, these unenviable responsibilities fell to me. Thankfully, I had dreams of Albuquerque and Dad's last reveal to keep me inspirited through it all. I have little doubt the distraction was intentional, and meant to serve as an analgesic for the freshly minted and reeling orphan I now was. Thanks, Dad. Once the send-off was complete, the casserole dishes washed and returned, and the suspended silt of stirred grief had begun to float downward and settle. My mind cleared enough so that I could focus its energy on the divertissement of one last treasure hunt with Dad. Following a series of trains, planes, and hired cars, I arrived at the workroom of Ms. Krause, a tawdry glassed-in cubicle that looked across the sparse vestibule and toward the hasteless teller windows of Integrity First of Albuquerque. Ms. Krause was mercifully taciturn and showed me to safe deposit box A682 with friendly but unceremonious efficiency. Her duty is complete. With a smile and a nod, Ms. Krause left me to my devices, the key around my neck, and the secret it was now to reveal. With breath baited and hands shaking, I tilted the box up and toward me to see what my dad's farewell crack would be. I could almost hear his voice in my ear. Not so fast, Darce. As what slid out gave me a brief start and then a knowing chuckle. Of course it wasn't going to be so simple as receive a mysterious package, fly cross country on faith and whim, drive to a random high desert bank and collect your reward. Dad was a pro. And this was his final dance. What slid out was a single business card that read, "Your Stuff Storage, 6839 East Hummingbird Way, Scottsdale, Arizona, 24365 Access, Air Conditioned." On the back of the card, Dad had written, "321714, Unit 0211, No Life Without Adventure, Almost There." XOXO, Dad. I'll spare you the interlude between Albuquerque and Scottsdale. Suffice it to say, it took a few more planes, trains, and hired cars to get me to Arizona, and more specifically, to the tiny manager's office of Your Stuff Storage, where Bart, the manager on duty, plied me with a complimentary bottle of water and a butterscotch from the communal dish, then directions to the elevator, the basement below, and storage unit 0211 within. Next, with a wave and a fare-thee-well, Bart buzzed me through the security door and into your stuff's steel-girded catacombs. Judging by the nearly empty parking lot on my way in, there weren't many of us wandering these sterile, unpeopled halls, and sure enough, I didn't see anyone on my way down to unit 0211, which I stood before, immobilized with nervous anticipation for a solid five minutes prior to punching the combo, throwing wide the door, and entering upon Dad's last laugh. It took a pause to understand what I was seeing. Light from the hallway's fluorescent banks reflected into the metal cube, which measured ten feet by ten feet square, and illuminated the unit's lonesome dweller, a tumbled old stool, three-legged, wooden, and wholly nondescript. Atop the stool sat two envelopes. One, a large manila number, typed first across it. The second, plain white and letter-sized, with last typed on its front. A closer view revealed the stool sat squarely over a large X of blue painter's tape on the unit's concrete floor. X marks the spot. Nice touch, Dad. To say I had no idea what these envelopes contained is an understatement. To say I was nervous to find out, a grosser understatement still. But it seemed a shame to spend all that money on plane tickets and not find out, so with a stealing breath, I reached first for the manila envelope, undid its clasp, reached inside, and slid out that which was within. As a kid, I always harbored a nagging suspicion that the king's men in their mounts hadn't tried quite hard enough before throwing in the towel on their efforts to refashion poor Mr. Dumpty, I get that fragile things fallen from a height make a pretty mess, but it seemed to me that when all the resources of a kingdom are brought to bear on a task, particularly one involving life and death, the outcome should produce better results than a collective throwing up of hands and hooves. These childhood suspicions were now confirmed by the tortured page that slid gingerly from the first envelope. It was a typed letter on a single sheet of plain white paper, At some point, it had been torn to pieces. At some following point, long ago, judging by the brittle and yellowed tape that backed it, the letter had been painstakingly re-pieced into a Frankenstein version of its former and miraculously still legible self. Clearly a more patient effort than the one received by that ill-fated egg of yore. The letter read, December seventeenth, two 2019 Charles Baer SVP Operations Eastern Associates Limited 25065 North Industrial Way Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, one five two zero one. Mr Bear, I'll forgo pleasantries. This letter serves to inform you of two things. First, of the death by her own hand of your former mistress, my mother, Margaret Bowen, and second, of the unpleasant truth that I am your biological son sired by sin, then unwittingly raised as his own by a man of much greater character than yourself, my father. I contact you now with no pleasure and no motivation save one. It serves my mother's dying wish that you should know of my existence. Like you, I was enlightened of our connection only at the time of her passing. Do not regard this letter as any entreatment for further contact between us. I expect never to hear from you, nor should you expect ever again to hear from me. Your very existence is a stain I will work the rest of my life to scrub from my mind. I have no doubt you are the halter that led my mother to her lonely and tortured end. As such, I will leave you with this earnest invocation to the powers that grant them. May life bestow on you everything you deserve, you son of a bitch. The letter was unsigned. Here was revealed Dad's prescience, as I surely would have collapsed onto the floor at this news had there not been a stool for me to repair to. I sat numbly in that steel box, immersed in the white noise of shock for I don't know how long. I was outside of time. There was nothing to rouse me from my vacant reverie in that empty place. No noise of others, no hum of things. Just a lonely girl far from home. A stranger in a strange land sitting in silence amongst the shards of her shattered truth. It was unrealistic to think that the good people at your stuff storage would house me indefinitely, though, so I eventually unblanked myself and turned my attention to that which in all the world terrified me most. The last letter. I opened the envelope slowly, with unnecessary precision, trying comically to stall the unstallable. With sweat and tremble, I drew the handwritten pages out as like a weapon from its sheath, and read. My Darling Darcy First things first, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for how alone you feel right now. May it give you some small solace to know that we are never as alone as we feel. The world is rich with others, most of them strangers, but many of them friends. My dearest wish is that in this time of troubled waters— Your ship may steer that safest harbor where love and loved ones await. May God bless your precious heart and your kind and gentle soul. I love you. But maybe there's something else on your mind. Just maybe you are distracted by fresh revelation that things are not as you thought they were. For this, I am sorry too. Let me help make some sense of what you have just learned. I'll say little of the affair, but that it happened and ended long, long ago. If you want details, they're easy to come by. Every song and story of love's pleasure and pain sing my soul. Nothing is more common to our condition on this earth than the unknowable and untamable will of the human heart. I say this without any claim to innocence, only fallibility. These truths contain my greatest bewilderments, my greatest moments, my greatest shame. When I received that letter many years ago, I read it in horror and destroyed it. Then, like its author, I set myself to the task of forgetting. And I did. I immersed myself in everything that would help me unremember the misery and exultation of my ignominy. Time, that merciful salve, abetted. Your mother never knew of my betrayal. Or so I thought. It's been my experience in this beautiful life that every heart harbors a darkest secret. If you don't have one yet, you may borrow this one until you find a suitable trade. I always thought the letter and the secret within was my darkest to keep, but I was mistaken. I found the letter amongst your mom's private things when she died, at the bottom of a box, buried beneath all the other relics. Turns out, this secret belonged to her. I have no idea how she found the shreds of my lie, reconnected their pieces and conjured the strength to never say a word, or how she gifted me the silent grace to be flawed, to be flung against the rocks, then returned home, bruised and scarred, without so much as a query, returned home into open and forgiving arms, returned home to love, unconditional. I tell you all this not as some self-soothing deathbed confession, but with the hope that you might live in greater truth. We are all possessed of weakness and of great strength and of the need, most fundamental, for grace and love. It's a cruel irony that I must drag you through the pain of knowledge in order to deliver you to the doorstep of this wisdom. I hope the gift is worth the cost. I love you, Darcy, my precious girl. Live a bold life. Be kind. Forgive. Love fearlessly. Your mom and I will see you soon, in Elysian fields, where we wait. Love always. Dad. No seat could steady me now, as the letter fell absently from my hand and beat me, but just, to the floor of this cruel cell, where I crashed, curled, and wept. Yes, the dike now broke, its flood released, and I wept. I wept for my dad's fragility, for his lover's pain, for her son's anger, and his father's strength. I wept for my suffered mother and the silent secret she carried to her grave. I wept for the weakness, the passions, the cruelties, the losses, the rewards, the lies, the truths, and the love of all mankind. And then I wept for myself, for my loss. My loneliness, my innocence passed. I wept and wept, racking, shoulder-wrenching sobs, until my eyes swelled shut and my cheeks soaked wet. I wept until the weeping was done, and then I stopped. As I lay there on the cold floor, my breath settling, my wits returning, a calm visited me, and a small voice spoke so still that had I not been in that silent and solitary place, I would have missed it. You're okay, Darcy. It will all be okay. Somewise, these simple words of truth restored me. Wiping my eyes, I rose and left my cage, grabbing Dad's letters on the way. Up the elevator and out the door, I stepped from the building and into the desert sun's light, white and piercing as so much blinding knowledge. Then I tossed the manila envelope and its retorn contents into a bin, called for a car, and hopped a plane to Pittsburgh. The end. This has been another episode of Montana 3000. Check out the website for more information and additional stories. Montana3000.com If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. Until next time. Happy trails.